Hey, this is Sarah from Philly. Dusted is a story wonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. And welcome to the show. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm Alistair Stevens. And this is Dusted. You're wiping away tears with our plastic hand Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. (laughs) This week, we're watching episode 12 of season two of Angel Blood Money. This episode aired on January the 23rd, 2001, and is written by both Sean Ryan and Mayor Smith. We last saw Mayor Smith's work last week in Redefinition, and we saw Sean Ryan's work the week before in Reunion apparently the regular angel writing staff taking a long vacation no and i think i think that's great i think it's nice that these plucky young writers just stepped in to take (laughs) over an entire month's worth of episodes that's great. yeah i'll be real glad when we get to manier back in the office though i think someone needs to corral these youngsters and keep them under control because i'm going to say this right off the bat this is not a great one it's not a great one it's not one of the all-time best episodes of Angel, but I don't think it's the worst either. Well, we'll talk about that. All I right. think it's <laughs> fundamentally broken, but mm. that's maybe a discussion best left for the end of the All show. All right, yeah. Tell us about the director. Well, this was directed by R.D. Price, who has only directed two episodes of television ever. And they're both Angel episodes. Mm-hmm. He directed season one's I've Got You Under My Skin. And we also remember him as the pizza delivery guy that Trick ate in Buffy's <laughs> season three episode, Faith, Hope, and we, Trick. We, we do remember him from that. Let, let's presume that we remember him <laughs> we do, from because, that. I will say, yeah. it's a nicely directed episode. No, it is. I think it's well and done. And not at all straightforward. In the gala at the end of the episode, he has to corral a lot of mm-hmm. moving elements. Yeah. That can't have been an easy shoot. Mm-hmm. And I think he handles it actually very nicely indeed. So well played, R.D. Price. Good job. <laughs> Absolutely. You will always be the guy who trick eight to us. <laughs> you will always be the guy that trick eight. Absolutely. All right. So getting to our beat by beat, we open on Wesley and Gunn in Cordy's apartment facing each other down over a board game, Risk specifically. And if they're bored enough to play Risk, things for Angel Investigation sans Angel must be really, really <laughs> bad. Cordy comes out of her bedroom in a robe and tells them to get the hell out. Wesley's worried if she's had a vision, and Gunn almost asks what if Angel comes back, but he doesn't get it out before both Cordy and Wesley shut him down. They don't say the A word. Still, without Angel, Angel Investigations is kind of missing the main thing. They decide to scrap the old identity, make their own logo, and move on. As Gunn and Wesley get carried away, figuring out the marketing, Cordy has a vision. A fire-breathing, two-headed demon is rising in the sewers underneath a girl's school, and Wesley and Gunn are out the door. So that's the introduction of our Mm B-plot, I guess. That's the investigator's story this week. And it's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's serviceable enough. I don't really like the feint at the beginning with Wesley and Gunn getting worked up over Risk. I particularly don't yeah. like Gunn getting worked up over Risk. Wesley, I think, probably is a risk well, playing chap. Well, and they're chap, staring but... each other down, threatening each other, yeah. making it look like it's a fight. So it's one of these, Classic you know, piece of yeah. misdirection. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that... I'm not sure the dynamics feel completely consistent to mm-hmm. me. I'm not sure that this really feels like 
the best version of each of these characters yeah. and i don't like the the chemistry in the ensemble in general right but it, it's good enough it does what it sets out to do well and then we move right into this other thing where they're so excited about the marketing that when cordy has a vision she falls down to the floor ignored you know which yeah. is the whole wah, reason wah, why they're wah. there exactly. the whole reason why they're there is in case she has a vision yes. <laughs> i do like the callback though to the angel investigations logo yes it's been a long time since we made fun of that logo. since we've had the lobster joke feels yes. like old times <laughs> exactly <laughs> Out in the streets of Los Angeles, Angel literally bumps into Anne, a girl we've seen before, but Angel hasn't. Anne is the third identity of Chanterelle from Lie to Me and <laughs> Lily from Anne. She took over Buffy's identity in Los Angeles when Buffy left, and now she's working for East Hills Teen Center, a shelter for runaway kids. Angel affably helps her pick up all the donated clothing he knocked to the ground, and they say goodbye. Later, in Angel's room, he takes out the wallet he lifted off of Anne and reveals her driver's license. He's pickpocketing charity teen center workers. Obviously, he's truly, truly gone dark. Not his finest hour. Mm -hmm. I do like the work that he's put into his serial killer evidence wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to impress the other psychopaths, you really need the red thread. No, you, you really, really need do. to just spring for that. It unifies the whole aesthetic. Exactly. I find. What do you think of this odd reversal at the beginning? It's another set of subverted expectations. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that we, at least those of us who are watching this show very carefully, are already clued into the fact that something is wrong because that's Chanterelle. Well, right. But those of us who've been watching Buffy, which granted for the people watching Angel is most of the audience, yeah. um, but those who've been watching Buffy closely is another thing. It is entirely possible for somebody who had seen Lie to Me and had also seen Anne to look at this and just be like, oh, okay. Like not recognize her right away. I really like the fact that we don't make a big deal out of who she is, that we never really reference well, who she and is, that it's not but relevant. we know that it's not that relevant. It doesn't that, yeah, matter absolutely. To the story. I, I, actually, that's one of the things that I really like about this episode. Except in as much as it eases some of the plot mechanics that we'll need in the third act. Right. The fact that mm -hmm. Lily slash Chanterelle slash Anne already knows about vampires, mm -hmm. that does make things a little easier. Yes. But then I wonder about the missing parts of exposition that would be necessary for people who are coming in late to this story. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't they know. They just accept that this is... That this girl knows about vampires. I mean, I think that in a town like this, you know, yeah, in a world like this, that there are a lot of people who do. It so, yeah, I think it's nice. well enough. It's difficult to be engaged with it. We're certainly closer to Angel this week than we were in Redefinition. I mean, right. we're never mm -hmm. going to be further away from Angel than we were in Redefinition, mm -hmm. voiceover or no voiceover. So we are close enough to him that we get a sense of his immediate goal mm -hmm. i'm just not sure that we get a clearer perspective on that immediate goal angel's kind of a scumbag in this episode no i mean it's really disturbing to see him bump into somebody who's you know obviously seems very sweet and very mm -hmm. innocent and then for him to steal her wallet and be you know yeah. researching her i mean you know we see the picture of her with Lindsay, so we do get a sense of why you know angel is is uh stalking this this very sweet young girl it's the set piece of it mm -hmm. that makes me feel uncomfortable. It's it's the fact that he's orchestrated this encounter mm -hmm. and he lies to her face. That's much more problematic than Angel watching from, you know, the rooftop exactly. of a nearby building. Which or... is a completely, you know, Angel slash Batman thing to do. This is kind of what he does sure. is sort of watch the playing field and see what's going on. And that's, I mean, one of my immediate questions. Why does he need her wallet? What is the purpose? What is his plan in the opening movement of this episode? He's revealing himself to her. Yeah. 
but he's not really gaining any significant information that mm-hmm. presumably he didn't already know. Right. He can already find her at the teen center because it's written on the outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And we know that Angel's senses are more acute than most human beings' senses. Sure. So mm-hmm. I'm just not sure about Angel's actions at this point in the story. I'm not sure of Angel's actions throughout the story. And ultimately, I do think that this is a this is a broken plot at like a very deep level, but... We'll, we'll talk about that later. Overall, I wish this had been the B story and we'd been able to concentrate more on the investigators. Yeah, well, the investigators, I feel like we, we sort of are putting them in that situation where they're sort of treading water in the background while we do the interesting stuff with Angel. And I yeah. really would like to see some more interesting things happening with them. They've undergone a real change in mm-hmm. their fortunes, but we're still treating them in exactly the same way as we were back when they were at the Hyperion. Yeah, we are. So anyway, we cut to credits and then we come back in the sewers. Wesley and Gunn creep along looking for our fire-breathing demon. They're just about to go back for some explosives when we come upon the demon and learn that he doesn't breathe fire so much as fart it. These are the jokes. Okay, wrap it up, guys. Fire farting we're, we're done. Demon. We'll be back next week with our thoughts on the next episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which probably won't have a fire farting demon in it. I mean, good God. No, it is. It's it's a really okay. uncomfortably bad joke. I want to stress, though, that it's not just the fact that the demon farts fire. Yes, Buffy has not been above Angel in previous episodes, uh, has sure. not been above mm-hmm. that kind of humor from time to time. It's the fact that this is borderline incompetent storytelling. Mm -hmm. We start with this creepy POV shot creeping down the sewer tunnel toward Wesley and Gunn, but we're not in anyone's POV. The camera's just moving around a lot. And then because we don't have the budget for a fire farting demon that's 20 feet tall, we just get the reaction shot. Mm -hmm. And it's not well written. It's not particularly well performed. And it's terribly shot. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have necessarily a problem with the way that it's written. I think that actually this joke, if you're going to do this joke, is funnier if we don't see it, if we just see the reactions, if we just, oh, he's turning around. Oh, that's not breathing fire. You know, that kind of thing. I think that actually that is a funnier joke construction. What I don't care for is that this is the must the investigators being like goofy and this is like oh it's goofy right. times with wesley and gun and i would much rather see them doing something that matters that's important it it feels to me like it's oh well we have to do something with them let's make sure it doesn't matter and it's not important well, and it's all goofy we're also coming perilously close to breaking our understanding of Cordelia's visions in the first place. Mm-hmm. Cordelia's visions come to her courtesy of the powers that be right. and the powers that be are interested in Angel. Mm-hmm. Doyle didn't get this gift so that Doyle could fight evil. Mm-hmm. He got this gift so that Angel could fight evil. Why is Cordelia even getting visions at this point? Right. It feels as though the absence of the visions would be a much more powerful story to tell. Absolutely. That would be than fantastic. the presence of the visions. And especially the way we open that story where, well, what if you get a vision? And she's like, well, I haven't had one. You yeah. know, um, that would be Play a really that for interesting drama. way Play to that do it. For pathos. That without Angel, we can't do this and we have to find things that we can fight right. elsewhere. We have to go elsewhere to like fight for good. I think that that would be a really interesting thing to do with, with them. But instead, we're just, we're goofing with them. Yeah. We're just layering all of these jokes into their story, but there's no actual story underneath the jokes right and while sometimes it's possible to have jokes that don't primarily serve the Mm -hmm. story goodness knows we've loved enough of those in buffy we've loved enough of those in previous angel episodes in this instance the joke isn't good either Mm -hmm. i think there's something there conceptually yeah 
but it's just terribly, terribly executed. And I think that when this episode falls down, it falls down hard. Yeah. And this is the first point for me at which mm-hmm. I, I just threw my hands up. If we weren't watching for the show, I would have advanced to the next episode. Yeah. Just on the strength of just that scene. That I alone. hated that scene. Yeah. No, it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't. But I will then, say, though, mm-hmm. in advance of our discussion yes. later in the episode, I did really like the scene where Wesley and Gunn are telling Cordelia the story. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. No, that is fun. I think that would have worked it's also, out better. Again, there's, it's, it's one thing to have like a joke that doesn't serve the story, mm-hmm. but when you don't have a story and all you have are a series of jokes, I feel like that weakens everything yeah, overall. I think the later scene is charming in a way that this isn't, mm-hmm. and I think it's well executed in a way that this isn't, and I think it's rooted in character in a way that this isn't. We'll talk about the latter scene, I guess, when we get there. Okay, we certainly will. But now we're going to talk about Merle, everybody's favorite stool pigeon slash demon. And he is about to leave his lair when he finds Angel waiting for him outside of his door. He refuses to invite Angel in, but the rules for lairs are more complicated, and Angel just comes in anyway. Since when? <laughs> Since when has this been the case? You, they can always walk into a demon's lair. Have we always known that? I think so. I know that other vampires aren't. Yeah, I always by thought it. that it was only humans that were covered by the invitation. I guess it is. I guess because we've been humanizing our demons mm-hmm. over on the angel side of the divide here, because we've had complicated approaches to half demons and to demon culture. I guess we've never seen Angel yeah. need mm-hmm. an invitation. For some reason in this episode, while it is consistent, it feels it feels odd. I'm not sure why it stands out to me the way that it does. I think because Merle feels human. Yeah, yeah. in part, possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it is, it's a little bit weird, but I think it is consistent with the world building. It's not consistent, though, with the relationship between Angel and Merle that we saw in last week's episode. We talked at the time mm-hmm. about the waterboarding of yeah, Merle mm-hmm. and how how really atonal that felt. Mm-hmm. And we bring that up here and we kind of resolve it a little bit. But this is the angel that we recognize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Referencing that previous encounter, I think, just makes this angel seem, again, strange. Feels a little weird. Well, yeah, Angel's been strange kind of all season, so I'm sort of getting used to it. Angel casually threatens Merle, who gives up information he got on Anne. She's changed her name a couple of times, but she's otherwise clean. If you ignore the fact that Wolfram and Hart are the main benefactors of the shelter she runs. Stymied, Angel takes a moment to slam Merle's interior decorating and then leaves. And Angel can bite me. I don't care about Merle's interior decorating because Merle owns the Bondi Blue iMac G3. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that Let's for a minute. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about 32 megabytes of RAM and 4 gigabytes of hard disk and a 56K modem of raw computing power. Okay. At the time, though, that was kind of impressive. <laughs> it was. That was what, the late 1998? And to be running that out of a demon's lair, I mean, this shows a complicated characterization of this demon. I really like the fact that Merle has <laughs> yes, exactly. an iMac G3 just hanging out in the back of his lair. That's right. pretty great. Right. Well, I mean, that's why the only furniture he can buy is beanbags. <laughs> because he's because he's a Mac, okay, he's an we, Apple boy. Didn't we all have beanbags in two thousand and one? I admit to nothing. At the teen shelter, Angel shows up with a generous donation of some of Cordelia's clothing. Anne gives him the big tour and tells him that Wolferman Hart is their saintly benefactor. They're even planning a charity ball to benefit the teen center. Without them, the teen center would have been evicted months ago. Back at Merle's, the demon attempts once again to leave his lair with similar results to last time, only now it's not Angel busting in. A big blue demon claiming to have a history with Angel wants to know what Merle's been doing for him, and Merle, staying true to his stool pigeon nature, tells him about Wolfram and Hart. 
tell me about the lawyers is never going to sound threatening. There's nothing you can do to that line to make it sound intimidating. Let me say that I really like the Merle three beat. Okay. No, I like Merle. I like the last of those three beats the least. Yeah. Because I think that Lila doesn't bring the necessary intimidation. Right. Instead of escalating in threat, it yes. de-escalates in threat. Which is yeah. fine. That's certainly a thing mm-hmm. you can do with a three beat. You, you can certainly subvert can. It's expectations, a subversion. But mm-hmm. the subversion doesn't quite land for me. Yeah. And let me say, too, how much I like Boone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's great. I think he's completely wasted in this story. Mm-hmm. But I really like the idea of an honor-bound demon yeah. who has a personal grudge against Angel. Yeah. But it's not such an enormous grudge that it blinds him to, you know, justice, that it binds it blinds him to honor. Mm-hmm. I like Boone a lot. That is a character I could stand to have, you know, come back. I, I could see Boone being a recurring character in an alternate universe yeah. version of Angel the Series. I think Boone could be interesting, but answer me this, mm-hmm. all right? We find out at the end that Boone has already made this agreement with Angel. Does he come to town looking for Angel and then Angel gets him on his side no, it, to help it can't him? Be. It can't be that. It has to be later. It has to be after okay. there. So it must be later. So this wasn't planned all along. No, he didn't call Boone in. Immediately prior to the gala. Because okay. I don't buy Boone mm-hmm. talking to Lindsay and Lila the way that he talks to them if he'd already. Or the way he talks agreement. to Merle if he'd already exactly. if made he'd the already deal made made with Angel. With Angel. No. Yeah, because I, I don't know where that that point of the turn yeah, is that, that, that Angel to gets be... to him, but we have no clue. I mean it's it's one thing we don't see a scene where Angel gets Boone and gets him on his side because we want that reveal later, but there should be some kind of foreshadowing, some I'm kind of sure. tip off. I mean there should be there could mm-hmm. be, certainly I like the the heist twist reveal of Mm -hmm. that moment. That works for me. And I do find it to be consistent with Boone's character. Yeah. I like that side of the story Mm -hmm. actually quite a lot. Okay. And I really like the performance. All right, then. Well, in the parking garage, Lila finds a surprise at the backseat of her car. It's Angel. Angel's the surprise, guys. Angel's always the surprise. Here's a question. (laughs) If Lila lived in her car, would Angel need an invitation to get in? Well, you're just breaking my brain, dude. Well, I'm wondering, right? He doesn't need an invitation to public spaces, but Mm -hmm. cars aren't considered public spaces. No, cars are privately owned. And I imagine that if you live there, then that... So what's the deal if you have a summer home? Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a cabin in the woods or a cabin on the lake and you stay there for two months in the summer. Does Angel need an invite when you're there? Does he need an invite when you're not there? Is it still your home? I think that if you're actively living there in the moment... Although it doesn't count for hotel rooms, right? I mean, we've established that. there's no presumption that a hotel room is your home. But what if you're living... But some people live in hotel rooms the way that other people live in apartments. So if you live there, if that is where you are, how is a hotel room different from an apartment building? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's complicated. My guess is this, that when you first move in somewhere... The invite thing becomes a little, it's a little, and like you're there for a few days and then you sort of like the energy builds up the longer you're there. That is the only explanation because we have seen some inconsistency in this Mm -hmm. regard through the run of Mm -hmm. Buffy and Angel. And it feels to me that the sense of one's home has to be personal. Yeah. You have to feel that it's your home before your invitation has any power or effect. I think maybe, yeah. And I think that has to be a genuine mm-hmm. a genuine feeling. So I think that if you feel that your apartment in the city and your cabin by the lake are both home, mm-hmm. then I would imagine that the invite protocol would, would still be in effect. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that 
extends to Lila's car. <laughs> but I think if we all just take right. a few minutes every day to just feel really comfortable in really our cars, at home in our then car. you can just secure your personal environment against vampire attacks. Or you could just live in your the car. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> Angel vaguely threatens Lila in a somewhat angelicy way, and it would appear that Wolfram and Hart has messed with the wrong vampire. Lila closes her eyes in fear, and when she opens them, Angel is gone. I hate this <laughs> i hate that narrative beat where there's someone in the back seat of your car yeah. and you don't see them when you're getting into your car right. that is impossible that could never ever ever happen well okay first of all it has happened like there's you know the the stories that i was told when i was young about girls who got in the car and then there was somebody in the back seat of the car oh I'm well sure if you were has, told a story then i guess I'm it sure must have happened. it has happened i'm no, sure it i has. think it's urban myth how could it possibly happen because do you always check the back seat of your car how before you, you get in how could you not see the back seat of your if car somebody, when you're getting if it's into a big car. car and somebody's like you know curled up in the i mean if they're sitting in the back seat like you know like sitting up properly then possible yeah. that you could approach a car and not see that david boreanaz is in the back seat even if he's hunched down secondly mm-hmm. i hate the beat of him leaving the car yes angel's super stealthy but he can't phase through car doors <laughs> he is still bounded by the laws of physics <laughs> no that's and i another know thing. that he can batman Fair away enough. and i know that that's essential if the car door had been open i wouldn't exactly. have minded so right. much but this But he has is, to open the door. Th- we just have no sense of who Angel is at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's extending beyond his character and his personality and his goals and his motivations into his his essence, his existence in this world. Maybe this is just Lila's paranoia and she's actually in a dissociative state. Oh, so you're saying that we're deep in Lila's POV for, for what, the entire episode? Oh, well, at least this scene. <laughs> it doesn't make it worse. No. I'll say that. <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't. Later, in Lindsay's office, Lila is unnerved by what happened, and Lindsay figures that's just what Angel wanted. They're interrupted by Lindsay's 10 o'clock, which turns out to be the big blue demon we saw with Merle earlier, who goes by Boone and has a grudge against Angel. Okay, nitpick? Yes. But you work at Wolfram and Hart. <laughs> if your secretary says your 10 o'clock is here, and you don't have a 10 o'clock, your first step is to call security <laughs> all the security. Or <laughs> Just get in your escape hatch that you yes, had them exactly. building into the wall because God only knows what's coming for you. And it may well be Wolfram and Hart. Go get into the flush o pull exactly. that little lever, and exit the building. <laughs> Nothing good is going to I just have to, to go come. to the bathroom first. Yeah, exactly. I'll be right back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Nothing good comes of an unexpected <laughs> 10 o'clock. Again, though, I really like Boone. And yeah. I really like Boone and Lindsay and Lila. I didn't mm-hmm. like Lindsay Last week in yeah. definition, I didn't feel that that was true to his character, but now I feel like he's shown up again. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely Lindsay that I recognize, and the scorn yeah. with which he treats Lila in this scene <laughs> feels completely authentic. I love Lindsay and Lila. Yeah, they are good. a lot of fun. It's really yeah. good. Lindsay throughout this episode, very, very mm-hmm. good. So it turns out Boone and Angel had a big fight some years back. The sun came up and honor bound Boone to let Angel go. But now he wants to know once and for all, who is the batter ass? <laughs> Lindsay's all for letting Boone go nuts on Angel. But Lila has some reservations. The senior partners want Angel alive. Lindsay isn't as concerned with what the senior partners want as with Angel not showing up in his back seat. So, you know, whatever. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, no, I like this. Yeah. I think it's real good. Uh, and, and you know, it's kind of fun to see Lila a little shook, a little worried about Angel. I mean, I don't really believe it from Lila because she tends to keep her cool a little no, more than that. But, but it's the it's kind fun of to see that dynamic. 
Right. If we think back to Blind Date, for example, yeah. and we think about how cold Lila can be, mm-hmm. how unshakable Lila can be, and perhaps we're supposed to infer that she's gone through some trauma between then and sure. now, that she's generally more shaken up than mm-hmm. she used to be, but that doesn't quite work. In the context of the scene, though, in the context of her unburdening herself to Lindsay, yeah. there's a dynamic there that that I like, that mm-hmm. I appreciate. I think that could be even better than it is, but it, yeah. it works well enough. I like that they're sharing this job. Yeah. I like that they have to work together. I like that the only person they can turn to is each other because mm-hmm. nobody else trusts either one of them. Um, I'd it's like to see cool. that expanded. Yeah. I'd like to see that both above and below them in the mm-hmm. corporate hierarchy that no one has any faith in them, any time for them, right. that, that they are on the outs and that they have to fight for their position. Mm-hmm. And that weirdly unifies them. Yeah. I'd like to see a little more time and space given to them. I but like it a lot. The Boone stuff, I think, is great. I think so, too. Back at Cordy's, Gunn and Wesley share war stories about the big fire-farting demon, and they all argue about what to name their new evil-fighting agency. Wesley wants the classy Wyndham Price agency, Cordelia wants the active chase agency, and Gunn wants the straight-to-the-point gun agency. And none of it really matters, because this is the last we'll see of the investigators in this episode, and nothing matters. Speaking of the escape hatch, yes. speaking of the flush o mm-hmm. good God, they just disappeared from the episode. Yeah, I'm glad gone. we bring that to such a natural resting place. No, this is the thing. We're not doing a story with them at all. Let me say They're that. gone, like, 15 minutes yeah. into the episode, and that's it. This scene is really good. I would have liked it much more if we hadn't had the sewer scene. (laughs) If we hadn't already gone to this Mm -hmm. well once, I think this would have worked. I could actually have stood for this being the only investigator scene in the episode. If we just picked up that subplot, advanced it a little, and then resolved it. No, because we haven't done anything. Like, if no, this is the right. only scene, there's nothing right. happening. And that they is should have weirder had a story. than having three scenes in the first 15 minutes as having I one scene. don't think it's weirder than introducing our episode with Cordelia having a vision that has no impact on the proceedings yeah. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in these serialized shows, you have to advance a really minor subplot that's a long way in the back. I wouldn't have minded if this had been the only shot. That's not to say that you're right. It's it's mm-hmm. structurally or narratively essential. But if this had been the only scene, I genuinely wouldn't have minded it. I like the interaction. I like the tension between the Wyndham Price agency and the Chase agency and the Gun agency. I like the way they talk to each other. I even like the way that Wesley and Gunn are bonding mm-hmm. over this war story. That whole thing works for no, me. I like and Wesley and Gunn. One of my favorite lines in the entire yes. episode. Chase has the right ring to it. Why? Because it's my name. (laughs) See, that part I absolutely hate in this scene. I hate when they're all naming the thing because there's nothing to it. First of all, everybody wants it named after themselves. And so they're all arguing because they all want it named after themselves. It's like the oldest beat in the book. There is nothing about that that's interesting. And the way that that Cordy does that dance, I'm gun and my name is gun. I mean, it just feels like it feels like an outtake. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily... do buy Cordelia wanting to name it the Chase Agency. Yes. That's Cordelia up and down. Mm-hmm. I think that Gunn would not have wanted to call it the Gun Agency. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that Wesley would have wanted to call it the Wyndham Price Agency. Right. If Wesley had brought something, you know, brought something from classic myth mm-hmm. or brought something in Latin. Right. Then I could have believed if it. If they each did something, like rather than them all repeating the let's name it after me. Yes. If they all said because something, yeah. Cordelia wanting to name it after herself 
is true to her is absolutely no that makes sense for her but it doesn't make sense for wesley again so yeah i mean i i enjoy seeing them i like when they're sharing the war story and when they're talking to cordelia about it um i like that they had victory over this demon and they managed to fight their way out of it and that was good um but the rest of it i just feel like there's no space for it there's no story there's Mm -hmm. we're not doing anything we're not going to do anything give these people a week off Yeah. yeah At the Hyperion, Angel stares at his killer collage of pictures of Anne talking with Lindsay. (laughs) Once again, we're in Merle's lair, only this time it's Lila. Merle immediately tells her about Anne. I'm telling you, Angel, lie down with stool pigeons. You get, you know, stool. Sure. Sure. That old saying. (laughs) Is it weird that we do the three beat with Merle entirely within the first act of the episode? Yes, it is. It yes, it is. Very compressed. Structurally, the three beat is weird. I mean, I, I always like a three beat. You know me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm very easy to please. I will but. say that the structure of this episode is somewhat atypical, but it does feel a little like heist movie structure. Yeah. It does feel a little like like crime story structure. Mm-hmm. You do have that elongated third act mm-hmm. that has to en- uh, encompass so many events has to everything starting out everything falling apart exactly. yeah mm-hmm. so for me while the structure is atypical of angel i don't necessarily think it is bad structure mm-hmm. throughout it does have some odd consequences like the disappearing investigators yeah. like this moral three beat that's over 15 minutes into the episode it does feel very compressed mm-hmm. but i think that's purposeful and i'm not sure that it's harmful to the the frame of the story itself it feels weak to me um, because because we don't really have a true heist going on. We have a heist twist mm-hmm. in the middle of a story that we don't understand yeah, as a I, heist until the yes. twist shows up. It's not a heist story, but it's kind of it kind of borrows that elements. Yes. Yeah. No, I don't know. It feels weird to me. Um, the Merle three beat happening so fast. Uh, our investigator is gone by the first fifteen mm-hmm. minutes. It all feels just a little. It makes everything feel kind of top heavy yeah, to me. Yeah. And then we just spend the rest of the time unraveling this angel and Lindsay oh, thing and unraveling is exactly the word absolutely at the teen center <laughs> angel shows up and Anne jokingly asks if he's stalking her and yeah he totally is he confesses his surveillance all while trying to convince her that wolferman Hart is bad Anne is understandably confused and when Lindsay shows up to save the day it's not a surprise that she sides with him nor is it a big surprise that Lindsay has a big blue demony trick up his sleeve it's, it's Boone. He brought Boone along. Yeah, he super did bring Thank Boone you. with him. <laughs> Here's my question. We're going to get into the problems with this plot yes. in just a few minutes when it takes its turn. What is Angel's goal in the first instance? I think what is to he get trying Anne to, to pull away from Wolfman Hart and not let them because they were going to use the teen shelter to look good and get positive PR. No, no, no. PR. Angel doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know that yet. Angel doesn't know that yet. What is Angel's plan in the first instance? Why does he give a damn about Anne or about the teen shelter? There are so many things that Wolfram and Hart is doing. Hiring assassins, for example. (laughs) There are so many actually outright evil things. So you're saying on a list of all the evil things that Wolfram and Hart is doing, that this one should be at the bottom of the list. We know about the obsessive compulsive nature of vampires in other mythologies. Maybe Angel's picked up some of that and maybe he's just decided to start at the bottom and work his way up. Maybe. Maybe he's going to take on their questionable tax policies next week. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe that coffee in the break room isn't really fair trade after all. (gasps) Shock. What is he doing unless he just stumbled across evidence 
that Wolfram and Hart is somehow funding the teen center and he finds that suspicious or more likely he stumbled across Lindsay and Anne's personal connection. Mm-hmm. What the hell is well, Angel trying to do? Maybe Anne seems like, you know, the most innocent person that Lindsay is interacting with and he's trying to protect the most innocent person that he sees in Lindsay's circle. Um, of course, protecting her by stealing her wallet questionable you know tactics but yeah i don't know at this point i mean i think he's he's just trying to prevent angel Lindsay is, from being able to use her for anything angel is textually explicitly not in the business of helping the innocent anymore mm-hmm. he's not fighting the good fight he's fighting the war mm-hmm. is this what the most effective way to cut a leg down from wolfram and Hart? right is this anything to do with wolfram and Hart? At all, right. as far as Angel's concerned, at this point. Yeah. I mean, how many charitable enterprises must Wolfram and Hart be funding in the city of Los Angeles alone? Mm-hmm. In order to protect their reputation, it has to be dozens. Well, maybe if he is also, maybe it's like the Al Capone thing. You know, you're talking about the taxes. <laughs> maybe he's trying to find evidence that they are cheating on their taxes with these charitable organizations. Does that seem in any and way that can, that way you true can to take the version of Angel that we've been no, presented with over the last no, few episodes? No, it really doesn't. So... So I just want to point out, Uh this is going to be a car crash, but right now, (laughs) pre-car crash, it is already a disaster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It already is inexplicable. That said, in the action of this scene, I find a great deal to enjoy. No, it's I it really is fun. like Angel. Moment to moment, I love scene level. She's great. I no, liked her she when is. she showed up as Chanterelle all the way back in Lie to Me. This is the most I've ever liked her. I didn't care for her a whole lot as Chanterelle, and I well, didn't, she didn't care for her a whole lot as Lily. Do, in fairness. She was so she was dumb as Chanterelle, mm-hmm. and she was helpless as Lily. I like her here. Yeah, she's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that resonance within the text, too. She really did take that opportunity that Buffy gave her. Yeah. And and did something with it. She no, made it count. I really, I really like the way that they handled that. I yeah. think this is nicely done. Speaking of nicely done, Boone breaks out the <laughs> demon version of Brass Knuckles, and he and Angel spar. I love that unnecessary CGI no, effect. That's nice. That's so great. Oh, whipping around there is his no knuckles. reason. For, if Boone had just <laughs> hit him with fist his fist, looks bad no one would anyway. have said, "Oh no, that's not convincing." <laughs> It's completely unnecessary. I really like it. No, I really like it too. So Boone, as it turns out, is a good fighter. But when Angel takes off, Lindsay stops Boone from following him. He plays the hero for Anne, who apparently doesn't have much of a reaction to, you know, big blue demons fighting off vampires, and quietly promises Boone an opportunity to get Angel later. He sends Boone away and comforts Anne. He sure does, and doesn't feel the need to explain anything that has just happened. Right, because, because we he know. has his Buffy box set. Exactly. <laughs> he saw Anne. He saw Lie to Me. He knows that this girl already this is knows not all her about first rodeo. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a stumbling block, but it doesn't matter it's, that much. It's the- <laughs> hardly the biggest stumbling block <laughs> in the episode. A long shot. Yes. Anne confronts Lindsay about Boone's, you know, non-human status and Angel's accusations, proving she's smarter than anyone gave her credit for. Lindsay denies the charges, saying Angel has no proof, but Anne doesn't entirely buy it. Good for her. Later, (laughs) Lindsay and Lila are walking through Los Angeles at night and worried that Angel might totally have proof. They indulge in a little rational paranoia, and Lindsay figures that if Angel has proof, he'll want to humiliate them publicly. Lindsay calls for extra security at the charity ball. Okay, so let me put this as succinctly as I possibly can and say, what the hell? 
this is actually the plan? <laughs> I liked when Angel's talking to Anne. Yes. And he says, you know, they're going to just, they're going to go off with 95% of the take. You're going to be left with nothing. You'll be amazed. You won't make any money out of this. This is just Wolfram and Hart. They're terrible. I thought, this is really good. Mm-hmm. We're seeing Angel coming unstuck. Mm-hmm. We're seeing him coming unglued at this point. This paranoia is a really interesting development for the character. Yeah. But he's right. <laughs> this is what Wolfram and Hart is doing. Yes. Fleecing a shelter for runaway teens of $2 million. Are you telling me that Wolfram and Hart doesn't bill $2 million any Thursday afternoon you care to name? Exactly. <laughs> what? This is their plan? Yeah. This is, and I want to be very clear with this, this is garbage. <laughs> Not only is it a completely unconvincing plan in the first place. Not only am I baffled by the involvement of Lindsay and Lila specifically At in this their plan. high level. This is special operations. Yes. Fleecing special kids. Special projects, right. This is special projects. Well, okay. especially because it's an incredibly mundane thing. Like there are no, aside from Angel and Boone, there are no it's demons so, involved. There's both nothing of whom supernatural. Inserted themselves into exactly. the story. But they're not doing something supernatural to appease some kind of demon god that they've made a Faustian deal with. Like there's, there's nothing. nothing. Yeah. It's terrible mm-hmm. and at the same time it completely kneecaps wolfram and hart as a legitimate threat uh, well and lila and Lindsay specifically right. because this is their project we take them from being this monolithic mm-hmm. bureaucratic evil and we turn them into hucksters yes this is this is garbage okay i hate this plot with everything that i have and on the right. other hand mm-hmm. on the other hand hey guess what if Anne does walk away with five percent of the gala take that's a hundred thousand dollars that she didn't have before exactly that buys quite a few happy meals no one yeah is good in this story no <laughs> one is smart in this story with the exception of Anne. Yeah, no, Anne's great. I think is great. I like Anne a lot. Speaking of Anne, at the teen center, Angel visits Anne in her office. We get a little casual backstory on Anne and discover that while she's seen a lot of bad supernatural things, nothing compares to what she's seen these kids go through. Which is Anne grabbing the reins of this story and trying her hardest to force them back on track. Mm -hmm. This is a really nice commentary on evil in the Angelverse. This is a really nice study of what it means to fight darkness mm-hmm. and this is a rather elegant counterpoint to angel's whole i'm not fighting the good fight i'm fighting the war monologue yes from last week mm-hmm. this is the argument against that but we don't connect it to anything angel doesn't seem to be moved by that rather he seems to be more focused on his task as a result of this conversation exactly like it fails to shame him in any way <laughs> which it should right i'm not right. looking too deeply at that i mean this is Anne saying no you really should be fighting the good fight right exactly. now. Exactly. This is what you do, you know. And, and also, I like the, the point that she makes is that, you know, if Wolfram and Hart are skimming off the top, who cares? Yeah, what difference does it make? Yeah, I mean, she's still getting $100,000. She's still able to do something for these kids. And so what if Wolfram and Hart, you know, benefit from that? Which has been the fairly pragmatic approach that we've taken with mm-hmm. evil in the Angelverse since the beginning of the show. Sure. Mm-hmm. I just can't with this episode. <laughs> It's a bit much. So speaking of the episode, we'll just reference the title because Angel tells Anne that there is blood on that money and then immediately asks her for help to get into the charity ball. Anne refuses. 
Fast forward to the big event. Holland Manners is on a projection screen talking about the importance of the East Hills Teen Center. Lila mingles, introducing Anne to Nathan Reed, one of the big bosses at Wolfram and Hart. He smarms creepily all over Anne, and Lila tells Anne to save her energy for interviews. She's the face of the charity, and she should never underestimate the power of positive publicity. Meanwhile, Lindsay is checking in with security. No sign of Angel yet, but if he shows up, they'll alert Boone immediately. From the projection screen, Holland Manners encourages everyone to change the world. And from the podium, Lila tosses out a few tired platitudes. She tells everyone they're not going to ask for their money. They're going to take it at gunpoint. And celebrity bandits rush in, holding up the hoi polloi. This has to be the first idea. This was the first bullet point that was written on the whiteboard when this episode was being written. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Because this is really good. I love the awful Holland Manners video. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's so terrible, but obviously so deliberately terrible. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's toe curling. Well, which in also. It's faux sincerity. If this was in the planning stages before Holland died, which is the presumption since he's made the video for this particular event, then they, Lindsay and Lila, inherited. Uh, Holland Manners' terrible plan. Is yep. that it then? So at least, at least, at least they inherited it, Conceivably, right? Who so, knows? I don't even know. The first thing they should have done is shut it down. I actually really like Lila uh -huh. on stage. Yes. This is a very different performance from her. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I get it. I, I buy it. Yeah. As a piece of, of propaganda there. Mm -hmm. So that works. And we're clearly supposed to believe that Wolfram and Hart is doing this for the press they're doing this in the name of good publicity which makes sense to mm -hmm. me that works as a as a explanation of wolfram and hart's involvement here it kind of speaks against the idea that they would have any financial stake in this gala right. at all two million dollars is not a lot of money mm -hmm. for wolfram and hart to pay to these people in los angeles it's exactly not a lot of money right. yeah mm -hmm. that's that's a fraction of their marketing budget every right. year i mm -hmm. guarantee it they spend that much on advertisements on the side of buses yes <laughs> so the the that side of the story really falls apart for me when we see it in action mm -hmm. if you forget about them trying to fleece Anne yeah and the teen center of the money the whole thing actually works a lot and better this is just about you know improving their image and it makes but it's angel still... the bad guy which is exactly what we should be exactly. doing right now exactly i mean that's where he needs but to be because yeah. we have and this i think is why we do it i think wolfram and hart are trying to steal the money from Anne so that angel isn't the villain of the piece mm -hmm. that is a toothless but entirely understandable decision for a network drama in 2001. I suppose We're not so. quite in anti-hero territory yet in 2001. In 2001. We're, we're yet to have not our, quite our breaking for bad our moment. Walter White, exactly. exactly I was yeah. going to say that. <laughs> All right. So up on the second level, a hooded figure pulls back the hood. And hey, it's Angel. Of course it's Angel. With no explanation. Right. It's Angel. <laughs> exactly. Boone comes up behind him and the fight is on while the celebrity bandits critique the stunt work. Well, we have this great beat here about the guests at the gala yeah. asking the young actress. Oh, is your character if, just gay for the publicity ratings? I'm almost certain that was something that came directly from Alison Hannigan's personal doesn't experience. Doesn't it have to be? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's such a weirdly, weirdly prominent line, mm -hmm. too. It's oh, not background absolutely. chatter. We yeah. really get some time on that. 
I like the commentary on these young actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually find that pretty funny and pretty No, engaging. they're very cute. It's got a little bit of wink to it, but not it so does. much that it's not like overwhelmingly winky. No, I and think it's well I, you know, And I like it. I think yeah. it's pretty good. When security inevitably descends upon Angel and Boone, Angel reveals to Lindsay and Lila that it was all a ruse. Boone was on his side the whole time. While they argue, Anne heads for the stage, a tape in her hand. Lindsay and Lila rush to stop her, and the tape is just Cordelia's auditions and Wesley doing a very poor Sean Connery impression. Lila and Lindsay stop in their chase, confused. They realize that Angel set them up and run to get the money. What they find is security guards knocked out and the money is gone. I hate this with every fiber of my being. The misdirection is a nice idea right. in theory. Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be a tape that Angel brought from his own collection? Why couldn't it be America's Funniest Home Videos? Why couldn't we see a guy getting hit in the groin with a football? Why couldn't it be literally anything, literally anything mm-hmm. would have fulfilled the same narrative function as Cordelia's terrible auditions and Wesley's terrible impressions? Right. In addition, it also gives us another shot of our investigators being ridiculous and Absolutely. goofy. But yeah. much more powerful than that, it connects Angel emotionally back to the investigators which is something that he would never do right now he's deliberately avoiding those connections he gave cordelia's clothes away rather than return them to her he gave her clothes away well i don't think that was petty so much as it was a means of getting closer to anne I suppose, but does he not have clothes of his own that he could donate? Absolutely fair. I'm sure that there's a couple of black sweaters, possibly a velvety blazer that might be ready to go. That he has absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No, he left that thing in Sunnydale. (laughs) He burned it in Sunnydale. It's still hiding behind one of the the couch cushions in in Buffy's house. I think that all of that is absolutely Mm -hmm. true. It could have been. It should have been anything but Cordelia and Wesley. Yeah. I just don't buy it for for angel's state of mind yeah no at that time i don't either outside angel is leaving the hotel when Anne comes up on him and slaps him full in the face he used her and risked the shelter kids all for a video of nothing angel explains that he's playing a long game he shook them up and that's all he needed to do she asks about the money the money her shelter and the kids in it still desperately need you know that money <laughs> but angel just shushes her and walks away because he's kind of an asshole but what about my just, money, Angel? Just, uh, no, but, sh- but Angel, my sh- money. Oh, but the children. Those pretty lips. Hungry. Just, sh- hungry. Okay, anyway. It's <laughs> It's really awful. Later at Wolfram and Hart, Nathan Reed takes over the Holland Manor's daddy role with Lila and Lindsay, but he's not going to be all affable about it. He scolds Lila and Lindsay. There's a prophecy, and Angel's going to play a part, and they don't know which side he's going to be on yet. If he kills one of them, fine. They're expendable. Angel isn't. So this is our third bigwig from Wolfram and Hart in as many episodes. We go from Holland yes. Manners to the guy last week. Yeah. To this guy. And all of them threatening Lindsay yeah. and Lila with, I'm, I will surely kill you in the morning. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At the Hyperion, Angel looks at the picture of Anne with Lindsay, then tosses it in the trash can. He starts upstairs and stops when he senses Boone. He turns around, asks Boone what his take was, and he says it was more than two and a half million dollars. It's a hell of a lot to pay just to find out who is the baddest ass. But what the hell? You only die of ego and testosterone once, right? Later, a bruised and beaten Angel drops the bag of money on Anne's desk. He warns her to be careful that Wolfram and Hart never find out that she has that money. She touches the cash and there's dark liquid on her fingers. She asks what it is and Angel says it's blood. 
She hesitates, then says, it'll wash. Right. So the epilogue to this episode is Anne funneling two and a half million dollars of money (laughs) into her shelter for runaway kids and the IRS closing them down by the end of the year because of how this is obviously some kind of laundering operation. Forgive the pun. (laughs) Yeah. This is garbage. (laughs) The plot makes no sense in the first instance. Uh Uh-huh. It builds up a certain amount of potential when it looks as though Angel is actually in the wrong here Mm -hmm. and that Wolfram and Hart really are just using this poor girl for good publicity. But you know what? That's going to fund the teen shelter and so be it. Mm -hmm. That has so much potential to it. But we have to undercut it because Angel's our hero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible. It's terrible and it's incomprehensible. Well, the thing that I don't like about this is that it relies a lot. Like we are in constant state of misdirection throughout this entire episode. I mean, we open with a misdirect on what gun and Wesley are actually doing. Are they fighting? No, they're playing risk. And then we go through like misdirection after misdirection after misdirection. And after a while that starts to be annoying because essentially when you're constantly misdirecting, there's nothing underneath. There are a lot of really cool ideas in this episode, like I like Anne at the end looking with the blood on the money and saying yeah. it'll wash. I like That's that there is literally moment. blood on the money. But that has to be in opposition to Angel, not right alongside Angel. We're right. not given any real thematic or, or philosophical texture to this episode No, but that's the all. thing. It's a series of cool ideas. Yeah. It's a series of, oh, wouldn't this be funny? Yeah. Or, the oh, Gala wouldn't this be fun. cool? Sure. Boone is great. The, there are, yeah. you know, there are strong ideas here. But right but at the its narrative heart, line underneath isn't right pulled at together. Its heart, mm-hmm. It's just shattered. Yeah. So I, I really dislike this episode. The more I think about it, the less I like it. Yeah, I'm kind of in that space, too. The more I because think about it, because there were a lot of things that I appreciated about it when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I liked the moments. I liked a lot of the moment to moment stuff. It's and I think, honestly, yes. that's where Mayor Smith really excels. But we had a similar problem with redefinition in that moment, yeah. like the, the in the moment itself. Some of the stuff was kind of cool and kind of neat. There were some cool ideas there, but we never really pulled it together in a way that made Made it make sense yeah. and i feel like we're having maybe maybe less of a problem than we had in redefinition but still having well, some problems what this episode has that redefinition didn't have is an engaging enough plot things yes. happen they occupy space there are some clever reversals mm-hmm. it's pleasant to look at the action is sure. pretty strong mm-hmm. and there's enough humor in there to keep you buoyed up to keep you distracted yeah. to keep you engaged when you just sit and watch the episode, if you're watching it out of the corner of your eye, it's a perfectly satisfactory 45 minutes of Angel. Mm-hmm. If you study it at all, right? if you try and understand <laughs> the underlying workings, if you try and figure out how mm-hmm. these fragments of plot actually fit together, then it immediately falls apart and it falls apart completely. It falls apart even worse than Redefinition fell apart when right. we tried to look closely mm-hmm. at that. That's at least telling four short stories. The four short stories don't accomplish much, but they have at least Mm -hmm. an internal consistency. That's absent from this episode entirely, Mm -hmm. all but entirely. So Anne and Boone, rather than elevating middling material, they actually make the episode worse because they belong in any other episode. (laughs) They belong in a better episode. They are wasted in this episode Mm -hmm. because of that incomprehensible central plot. Yeah. We end up with everyone losing. 
but Angel walking out of the episode like he's the hero. Mm -hmm. There's no way that Anne's going to be able to, A, conceal that money from Wolfram and Hart. I don't believe that for a moment. And B, actually channel this dirty, bloody money Mm -hmm. into the shelter. Right. That's not how these things operate. And I'm not saying in the real world. I'm saying within the world of Angel. Mm -hmm. This needs to be above board it actually needs to be clean this this compromised approach it's not a victory for anyone right Mm -hmm. but the show treats it like it's a victory yeah and i find that incredibly frustrating Mm -hmm. it's so muddied and there is really strong potential right at the heart of it i would love to sit down with mayor smith to sit down with sean ryan Mm -hmm. and ask them about this episode because if this was a really dark story that was modified by the studio, was modified by the network, was modified by, I don't know, standards and practices, whatever, it was 2001, we're not ready for the anti-hero yet, Mm -hmm. then they have my sympathy. Right. Because I think the core of that idea is so strong and is so interesting because that's the next logical step Mm -hmm. for Angel. He's not fighting to protect the little guy anymore. Mm -hmm. He's fighting the war. Well, we should see some collateral damage. Right. And he's also becoming, you know, obsessive about it and he's going into dark places, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that would have been a really interesting story. If their hands were tied on that story, then that would certainly make some sense out of what we end up with, which is kind of a muddled halfway space. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I'm actually a little bit angry about this episode. So maybe I won't start the negotiation for its spot on the big list. Okay. When you look at the big list, what do you think? Well, you know, I think that we've made a nice comparison to redefinition. Mm -hmm. And I think that looking at this in comparison to redefinition, which which lands on our list at number 13, um, do we think that this is better than redefinition or worse than redefinition? Originally, Mm -hmm. when I watched the episode for the first time, I thought that was exactly where I would put it. I thought that I would put it right there above redefinition. It hangs together better than redefinition Mm -hmm. does, but it's still not great. It's still not one of our our top episodes of Angel. The more I think about it, the further it slips down the list. Okay. Because is it really better than the trial? Well, we complained that the last act of the trial was incomprehensible, Mm -hmm. but this entire episode is incomprehensible. True. So are we really going to to yeah. judge it more positively than we judged I that? I mean, there are some nice moments, but again, it doesn't really hold together. I think as I look down the list, I sort of stop around number 18, Untouched. The one with Bethany Chalk and her psychic kinetic power. I go a little lower. Mm-hmm. The, the first episode on this list that I am absolutely certain is worse than this episode <laughs> Is Eternity, episode 117. That's 21 on the list right now. Mm -hmm. I can think about that episode. And yes, that episode, worse than this episode. All right. So is this episode better than the next up, which is Guys Will Be Guys? I don't know. I don't think that it is. I'm not sure. I don't think it's better than Guys Will Be Guys. Really? As much as I wasn't a fan of Guys Will Be Guys. (laughs) And as much as you were after your first viewing. Yeah. Quite a fan of Blood Money. Well, no, there were a lot of things. I liked a lot of the ideas. I really liked Anne. Boone was good. There were a lot of things moment to moment that I really enjoyed. The overall story, though, falls apart and actually does damage to our characters. With Blood Money. I Mm -hmm. think if you can just watch it and enjoy it for what it is, then it would probably come in much higher on the list. If you're troubled by its underlying flaws, if you're troubled by the fact that the story doesn't just 
make no sense, but is actively antagonistic against itself. Yeah. But the story is tearing itself apart at the most foundational level. And if that understanding makes you angry about mm-hmm. the inclusion of Anne, who is great in this terrible episode, or the inclusion of Boone, who is great in this terrible episode, mm-hmm. then you're going to judge it more harshly. And I think that that's where I am right now. So yeah. I actually wouldn't bear any ill will mm-hmm. toward anyone who wanted to put this higher I mean, up. It's not top 10, mm-hmm. but I could see it coming in 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. around redefinition, around the trial, around hero, that kind of space. But for me, I actually am infuriated that Boone is wasted in an episode like this. (laughs) I am infuriated that that all the good work that is done with Anne Mm -hmm. in this episode is ultimately undercut by what is a philosophically and logically incomplete point at the end of the episode right well and, and i I'm also don't appreciate the the sidelining and goofifying of our investigators they problem. deserve a real story we do. could have definitely made time within this story to should, do that much more than making time yes. we should have brought them into this yeah. story mm-hmm. we should have have that we should have the had powers them. that be should have been about like if she gets a vision it should be about you know something to angel? do with angel yeah. and then it crosses them in that exactly. path um but so yeah there are a lot of things that i do find frustrating as far as like the big picture with this episode um but uh but yeah i think between guys will be guys and eternity i think at 21 that sounds like a fair place to me it, it's not it's not a judgment that i make with any pride or pleasure at yeah. all i really wish this episode had been better i really wish that it had gone darker i wish that it had been more consistent because there really is a lot of potential here i think a few judicious edits to mm-hmm. the script and you'd be left with something that really is a top 10 contender. Absolutely. Would have for, been. For all of Angel Would ever. Have been. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back on Monday with our thoughts on episode 13 of season five of Buffy Blood Ties, in which Dawn discovers who and what she really is. Buffy operating at a very high very level. Very high level. Right now. Then next Thursday, Angel and Lorne work together to try to prevent the end of the world. So, you know, another Thursday in episode 13, <laughs> season two of Angel happy anniversary and don't forget you can join some of the funniest smartest and most delightful people on the internet on our forums at forum.storywonk.com and you can send your feedback to us via email at podcast at storywonk.com you can leave a voicemail at 252-505-WONK that's 252-505-9665 and remember that this podcast and everything we do at Storywonk is brought to you free and ad free by our generous patrons to join this awesome group and gain access to exclusive story Want content? Go to patreon.com slash storywonk and pledge us a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm Alistair Stevens, and this is Dusted. Dusted.